So hi there, everybody. Happy Wednesday. It's Pastor Hetrick from Grace Lutheran Church here with our first week of Wednesday Bible study in the time that normally would be the beginning of our Super Wednesday program, even though those programs that involve our meal are not happening right now and we can't gather in person. We are bringing Bible study to you on Wednesdays. And I just want to begin first by saying that there are three ways to engage with our material that's going to be focusing on Paul's letter to the Philippians. The first is by watching this video. There is also a PDF print study guide available on our website, glcpa.org. If you go to where we keep the, the sermons and Bible studies, you can find that entire study guide there. There's more material than I'll be talking about today. And we also have an audio only format, which is going to be available on our website as well. So if you have a time when you can't actually watch and listen, or if you find it better to not look at someone on the screen, but just to listen, we have all three formats available for you on our website. The audio format is also available as our podcast, Pocketful of Grace, as an extra episode in addition to the weekly podcast that Pastor Shul and I record together. So our time together is going to be focusing on Paul's letter to the Philippians. Starting with this coming Sunday, for the next several weeks, our second lesson, the epistle lesson, will be from the book of Philippians. So it's a wonderful time for us to dig in a little deeper with what Paul has to say to the church in Philippi. And the focus for our study is joy in all circumstances, which is different than happiness. Joy comes from moments that are from deep within, moments that God can bring to us in the midst of not only good times, but in times of challenges. Other than part of the second chapter of the book of Philippians known as the Christ hymn, a lot of the rest of the book of Philippians is not really dug into on a regular basis even when it shows up in our lectionary cycle. This is actually believed to be one of the epistles that was written by Paul himself, as opposed to some of the others that may have just been written in his style. And even though Paul is often wordy and even brusque in his tone, this particular letter to the church in Philippi shows a softer side of Paul because he's addressing a topic to a church that he loves deeply. It's a topic that I think has meaning for us today. What does it mean to live in Christ in the midst of crisis? Before we get into that, I do want to give a little bit of background. More is available on our study guide, which is on the website. A little bit of background about Philippi as a place and then Paul's relationship with them. I've actually been to Philippi, and I had the chance to go to Greece and Turkey at the end of my seminary time and to see what remains of what would have been a very vibrant place in Paul's day. And so if you'll bear with me for a second, I'm going to see if we can do some screen sharing here. So. We're going to be able to see the ruins of the walled city 
at the foot of an Acropolis in the northeastern part of Greece, along an ancient route that linked Europe and Asia called the Via Ignatia. It was a Roman military road. And you can see a picture here of that particular place. Philippi was founded in 356 BCE by King Philip II, who was a Macedonian king. And the city developed as a small Rome, if you will, part of the Roman Empire eventually, following the Battle of Philippi in 42 BCE. And Philippi was populated by people who had been banished from Athens and also by soldiers from various battles. And the Via Ignatia was this trade route that brought wealth and prosperity for the people. You see there a map of the area. You can see that Philippi is on the upper part of the map, that area known as Macedonia and Thrace, and across the other side is Asia. That is actually the place where Europe and Asia as continents come together. And the Aegean Sea is where many of Paul's travels took place. You can see the whole marketplace area in this next photo in the corner there is a picture of one of my seminary professors, Dr. Mark Vitalis Hoffman, who doesn't know I've included him in this, but it was a vibrant city that had gates and a theater and it had temples and Roman public buildings, a forum, lots of other terraces, and over time, then also basilicas as Philippi became an area where Christianity developed. The Via Ignatia ran from Rome through Philippi on the way east. To go, for example, from Ephesus to Philippi took about a week. And the road, the Via Ignatia, went right through the center of town. In Paul's day, Philippi had about 10,000 residents, and there were surrounding villages that were agricultural areas. Philippi was governed by Italian law, which was the highest honor that could be given to a Roman province. They were not simply subject to all of the provincial and personal land taxes and other taxes as well as tribute. They had been elevated because of their value in the empire. And it's one of the things that Paul will have to discuss with them. They had such great pride in their citizenship with Rome that he had to remind them of their ultimate citizenship in heaven, in the kingdom of Christ. Paul, when he traveled to Philippi, formed the first Christian church in Europe, built on top of a Hellenistic hero's tomb, and Lydia was notable as the first European to be baptized there. When Paul visited Philippi, he founded the Christian church and the whole appearance of the city changed. Many basilicas were built. Lydia was baptized in the waters of the river Zagactus. She became the first Christian woman in the whole of history. And today there is a modern baptistry of St. Lydia that was constructed in 1974. I've had a chance to visit there as well and to see the area where they have created an area for baptisms even now, every year. And the water comes through that area in a shape of a cross to remind people that it is in our baptism that we share in the cross of Christ. The rest of the basilica on the inside is beautiful with lots of stained glass windows, lots of gilt mosaics, pictures to Paul and to Lydia 
And if you look at some of these pictures, you can see it's just absolutely phenomenal for such a tiny space. This is the space in which modern folk can visit and see what was once the beginning of a vibrant part of the development of the Christian church. And it was a prominent city in the Eastern Empire, as well as an Episcopal seat. Also in this area is an area that is the rumored cell of St. Paul, where it is claimed that he was imprisoned, which may or may not be the actual place. Um, but it is an old water cistern, and you can see it's not a very large place indeed. There's more available, as I've said, in the study guide, and so I want to give you an opportunity to take a look at that in your own time, as you wish. So I want to give a little more background now about Paul and the church at Philippi. It's a church with which Paul had a strong attachment. It's the church that he helped to found and had many converts. He has been supported by them financially as well as spiritually. And he has not only formed relationships of faith community with them, he's formed friendships. He portrays them as being well organized and spiritually adept. And part of how we know this is that in his letter to them, most of the language that he uses is very much commending language. He doesn't have a lot of negative or difficult things to say to them. But he is speaking to them about two things. One is that there may be some possible internal struggles, and there are also external pressures. The internal struggles that he talks about have to do with envy or spite and strife or even selfishness that are militating against the unity that Paul is commending to them, reminding them that the motive of Christian love is to mirror the nature of God and the motive of Jesus' actions to work for the deepest good of others. In the early part of the first chapter, which occurs before the reading we'll hear this Sunday, Paul is assuring the church at Philippi, assuaging their fears because he has been imprisoned and he knows that they have great anxiety and concern. He's also correcting their misunderstandings about the effect of this situation for him and for the spread of the gospel. They're worried that with Paul in prison, there may not be a future for the spread of the gospel and the development of the church. But Paul uses this as a way to talk to them about joy in the midst of that circumstance, reminding them that because the guard in prison changes every hour, he gets a new person to talk to about the gospel. And for those fellow believers in prison with him, they are not only encouraged by being together, but they too have become emboldened to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. As it turns out, the prison is not a hindrance to Paul's work in the way that it first might seem. Another theme that he will take up with them is that the faithfulness of Christ does not exclude believers from trials. And yet, in the midst of it, there will still be reasons to rejoice. So with that background, now we can come back to our question, what does it mean to live in Christ in the midst of crisis? And that's where we begin to pick up today with Paul and his dilemma, as well as his discernment. 
You see, in verses 18 to 26, Paul is reflecting on his own situation. Like we have a seat with him as he's thinking out loud. He's found new life on the Damascus Road. That life has changed everything for him. That life is a life in Christ. And he has found that living in Christ as opposed to living in oneself means that his own best interests are no longer central. They're not the determining factor in his decisions. Our reading for Sunday begins with verse 21, but this section is better divided by starting with verse 18, because it is here that Paul rejoices that even in his imprisonment, this is a possibility for rejoicing and that this is a future tense. He expects to continue to be rejoicing into the future, even as he continues to be in prison. He cannot choose his circumstances, but he can choose how he will respond to them. And the basis for this will result in, as he says, my salvation through your petition. Paul is helping them to see, and us, what can support us in such times by telling the Philippians, your prayers matter. Praying for him to be liberated and to return to them is a gospel purpose. Paul also notes that he's being given a supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Through the prayers of the community and the power of the Holy Spirit, he is being given human and divine assistance in this time. And interesting that that word supply that's used here is actually a term for a ligament in the body, that which supports a joint in the body. Recently, someone told me that leaning on the everlasting arms is a song that is a song of comfort when there are times of struggle for that person. And I think Paul is saying this in how he talks about the support he is receiving. And he not only sees prayers and the spirit as support, he sees these things as liberation. The notion of being supported is one that tells us that we may be more in a marathon than a sprint. If we try to push through alone, we end up depleted and exhausted. And so I wonder, how has this time changed your perspective on what strengthens you or carries you? For Paul, he knows that one of three things is going to happen. He will be released from prison. He will be tried and hopefully vindicated. Or he may die, in which case he knows that he will go to live with Christ. And he's eagerly waiting, watching and hoping for whichever one of these will come. In articulating vindication, he's not unlike Job who seeks vindication in a time of trial and struggle. Either release or vindication will allow him to return to the Philippians, though the time may be long until that happens. But of the three options, Paul makes it clear he would rather just go to be with Jesus. And that is the place of dilemma. Going to be with Jesus is far more appealing. Being freed to return to the Philippians is wonderful. But he really just wants to go and be truly in Christ. 
But then he imagines again the church in Philippi. And God uses this as a moment for him to discern. That it is probably better for them to continue to grow in faith and joy now. Yes, prison is rough. And waiting for an outcome probably seems daunting. But Paul is going to hold fast for the Philippians and also for the opportunities that are in front of him in the here and now. That's the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is not found in prison. But yet Paul, Paul finds joy in his purpose, even in the midst of this difficult time. And he's come to see that his life in Christ is an expression of Christ. That within everything, God is working for good. And Paul will be a co-worker in this. Life, the life in Christ, eternal life, does not just begin in the great beyond, but that our eternal life with and in Christ has already begun. We are in it now. If you begin with chapter 1, verse 27, and read through chapter 2, verse 4, you will see that Paul is appealing to the Philippians and to us to live with fortitude and unity in difficult times. He'll go on to show the example of Christ Jesus before returning again at the end of the epistle to bookend this letter, again encouraging a life with fortitude and unity in difficult times. I don't know about you, but I think that fortitude and unity might sound like wonderful concepts, but they also sound like heavy words that by their nature remind us of the weight and the different directions that life can tug at us. In these last few months, have there been any joyful surprises for you where you received an unexpected joy or a new purpose amidst the challenges that you might not have experienced otherwise? I'm hoping that you can take some time to reflect upon that and then offer that to God in prayer. Paul, like we, would really rather depart sometimes from our current circumstances, but he commits to remaining present and in the circumstance if that most assists the Philippians, advances the gospel, and therefore pleases the Lord. And Paul gives us an example of how to accept suffering and struggle in the hope that God can and will bring good actions and good things from within such times. Paul also will show us how to deal with jealousy and rivalry and strife without adopting the actions and the attitudes of others for ourselves. Now, this is not to say that God causes suffering or that God causes rivalry and strife. Indeed, God does not. But God does meet us in these places. Has God met Paul? To guide us to set aside even clear personal preferences in favor of the greater good. I've been thinking about that a lot lately and wondering about all of the ways that myself 
and you all have had to maybe set aside clear personal preferences for the greater good. One of those to be sure is that I'm teaching this Bible study in my basement and we are not gathered in the fireside room together. And that we are not gathered for in-person worship in the way we normally do. Because out of the greater good, we know that it is important for us to see life differently in this time, believing that God will continue to bring good. Maybe in this time or in some other time in your life, you've had to wrestle with what you would prefer versus what others needed in other ways beyond this pandemic. If so, Paul's words speak to all of this. We don't have to be in an actual prison to feel that our lives are different and wonder if they are limited rather than see the fullness that God might bring in the midst of it. So beginning in verse 27, Paul has shifted to focusing not so much on his own circumstance, but to speaking to the Philippians and to us more specifically where they are. And he begins by exhorting them to greater unity based on the model of Christ, where humility and servanthood will be the path. He says, live your life worthy of the gospel. And that phrase, live your life, actually is best translated. Behave as a citizen. Be a citizen of the kingdom of God. It brings to mind a form of allegiance to a form of government. That was as countercultural then as it is now. Rulers and leaders and many things in our lives want and demand our loyalty. And the question then for all of us is whose will will dictate? Whose will is our ultimate will for living? Is it one of our own construction? Or is it divine will? Who or what is at the center of our lives? From that, everything will follow. Paul is raising a practical point. What we do shows whose we are. A simple example of that is what we do when we decide to put on our favorite sports team apparel to watch a game. And we say, whose we are in that context, but in a much larger way, whose we are is going to dictate how we act. As Lutherans, we say that our baptism tells us whose we are, that we belong to Christ, that we are children of a loving God. St. Vincent de Paul once said that if God is the center of your life, no words are necessary. Your mere presence will touch hearts. I imagine Paul in prison embodying that. I imagine each one of us having that same opportunity. Paul goes on to tell the Philippians, whether I come to see you or whether I don't, stand firm in one spirit, one soul, struggling for the faith of the gospel 
Paul's encouraging the adopting of a common life principle and attitude, a common goal and purpose, grounded in Christ, and that that purpose and that focus should be lived out, whether you get what you want, in this case, Paul's visit, or not. The struggle that we see in the world when we see others who are not living as we are is not to be bound up in fighting those adversaries and challenging them on their way of life. Our struggle is for the gospel. I've been thinking about that in this time as our country is focused on so many big issues and as we are approaching an election cycle where we may see things differently about the vision for our community and our country and the world. Have you ever noticed that sometimes in many aspects of our life, we can spend more energy on what we are against instead of what we are for and whose we are? Paul is encouraging us to not be distracted into that sideways energy, as Pastor Lynn used to call it. Remember that our purpose, our work, and our struggle is for the gospel, for the love, grace, and mercy of Jesus Christ made known in the cross, in resurrection, and new life. And Paul knows that adversarial energy can be contagious and intimidating. And so he's speaking to us to encourage us to focus, even in the midst of crisis, when we most feel distracted, where we feel unsure of who we are or where we're headed. Remember, you are given the gift of grace and salvation. Your belief is in Christ. Christ is both the object of our belief and the giver. We are in fellowship and in unity with Christ. And that is both our source of strength And at times it will be our source of struggle when we are at odds with those around us who say that our way of living and our way of seeing the world is not the right one. At times we will struggle to hold fast to what Christ tells us in his teachings and his commands. For Paul, that struggle ended up placing him in prison. But others have also struggled throughout time to remain true to faith in Jesus Christ, and to live with the integrity that Jesus calls us into. It may not always be easy, but it will bring life and joy and light to others and is ultimately a sign of resurrection and a sign of the kingdom. Friends, I know in this time it can be hard to set ourselves aside, especially the longer we have to do it, the more we start to chafe against each and every one of us. But I think we're being asked what comes to mind when we imagine being a citizen of the kingdom of Christ, as opposed to being a citizen of just where we live. And to ask us to think through and discern with God the challenges of how we have to square our loyalties. And to remember that Paul is speaking to us to encourage unity, to be of one mind in Christ, 
That's not the same thing as uniformity. As some have said, it's unity in the essentials and liberty in all else. To turn to God and ask to be reminded, what are the things that are essential to our unity in Jesus Christ? How do we understand those things as we seek to follow Christ? And remember, at the end of the day, we won't always get it right, but we will also always be in grace. Sometimes the Bible gives us more questions than answers. So if in our time together, there has been something that has made you pause, pray for that supportive spirit of Christ to lift you up. And if you know anyone who's struggling, pray for them to know God's love. This is the best and greatest thing that we can offer to the world in this time where people are struggling, people are hurting, people are feeling fractured, People look around at what's happening in the world and say, could anything worse possibly happen? And many are waiting for the other shoe to drop. There are many ways that we can identify both with Paul and with the church in Philippi. But remember that God is with us, that God loves us, and God wants to form us together into one body in Christ. Friends, until we meet again, we love you and we miss you. We hope to see you soon. Please join us on Sunday mornings for the various ways that we can worship together. One of those is that we have pre-recorded worship available on our website and our Facebook page each Sunday morning. You can also listen live on the radio at 1030 on WRSC, AM or FM or with your smart device. And we have drive-in parking lot worship at 830 in the morning on a low-frequency FM transmitter, a service that offers Holy Communion. However we gather, know that we are one in Christ and that Christ is with us to give us hope in this time. Thanks be to God.